welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about rulebooks, or at least, can we get rid of rulebooks? What would that look like? What games have tried to do this already? And what other ways could be used to teach players a new game? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and a huge thanks to all of our other patrons as well. All right, it feels like it's been forever since I talked to you guys, because it's been like two weeks. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. I Except that little... I actually saw you on Saturday. But True. Not in this way. Not in this way. It feels like forever since we've done this. But not to yes. our listeners, because our listeners said, oh, you just played another episode last week, and that was totally planned, and, you know, that, it wasn't. But anyway, it worked out just fine, because... We got to re-listen to that episode to help feed into this episode. Before we get into the episode, though, um, I do want to make some shout-outs for some emails we got. Uh, Quentin emailed in, letting us know that he used to have a bread box. If we talk, remember, if we talk about our bigger than a bread box episode, which I don't remember which one that was, but <laughs> it was like <laughs> two episodes ago, episode. Chris. It was not that. <laughs> <laughs> but he said he had one, and it was to keep mice out. So I thought that was cool. How um, many mice do you typically have to deal with in your home? Um, I get mice I it, in my home every fall. Yeah, and it really depends on where you live. So in the city, you don't have to deal with mice as much as you deal with rats, and even then, which are not necessarily. Yeah, um, but in They're rural areas. Outside. Yeah, in rural areas, mice are just kind of a common thing. Like, it's really, really hard to to deal with them otherwise. You guys don't live in rural areas. I used to live in rural areas. (laughs) Chris still lives in a rural area. I have to drive through a cornfield to get to his house. You you might actually. I do. Um, (laughs) I drive through a cornfield to get to your house. But anyway, um, my house is decidedly suburban, and I still get... Um, mice and we trap at least like four of them every fall and then that's the end of it for the year and then we forget about it and it's fine until next fall and it's like oh yeah this again yeah we haven't had any mice problems but we have squirrels and stuff but they're cute I like them you have a real Uh-oh. basement I think it's the crawl space's fault uh, that we get mice just, yeah so anyway uh, thanks Quentin for that <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to give a shout out to David Miller, who sent us a really, really nice email about how we've been a part of his gaming history. And he's been listening since episode 70. So, hey, David, shout out. Um, Joey Rollins asked if he could still record credits. And then he sent us a great story about not sending him in originally because he didn't want to enter the contest that he didn't want to win. And how he won two tickets to SeaWorld, but he already got free tickets to SeaWorld, but he traded those tickets to for a grill that could have also been won. It was a long story about military raffles and 5Ks. <laughs> but the point is, yes, send us your credits. Um, I will be picking randomly from anyone who's sent in recordings probably in the next month or two to give out some pretty cool stuff. So I'm I'm going to just throw it out there saying, hey, record credits and you might get something cool out of it. I can't tell you what it is, but I will or tell you. If you we might just use your credits and you get to hear your voice at the end of the episode and it's still fun. That's it. That's Isn't that a reward too. in and of itself? Yep. Um, but if you if it is a reward that you don't want, just let me know and we'll figure something else out. Because we do appreciate not having to read the credits. It's just one of those things that is it's more fun when more people are involved. We appreciate not having to say your name. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to let that roll off. I'm like, that might not have sounded good. <laughs> we love all our patrons. Um, let's see. And I do have one plug. So... 
for those who have been listening to the podcast for a long time, at least for the last year, you know that I kind of like this game called Keyforge. And some of you might even know that there's this timing rule that I don't really like at all. So I wrote an article about the timing rule and Sydney posted it on Facebook and it's gotten a bunch of traction and they talked about it on one podcast and they had me um, on a different podcast to talk about it. So if you want to hear about Keyforge and you want to hear more of me talking, because I mean, you're already <laughs> ranting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tried not. It was a rant. It was a rant. But anyway, it's always out- a rant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rant I've heard so many times, which I'm like, I don't know why you're still ranting to me because I agree with you. Well, and most people do. So I'm just trying to get it out there so that more people can bother the powers that be. Anyway, the podcast <laughs> is called The Key Chargers. Key Chargers. Um, it's the most recent episode, and they're really cool guys. So I thank them for having me on. Oh, I want to give them a plug. It's the most recent episode as of January 20th, 2020, if you're listening to this years in the future. Correct. That might be confusing. <laughs> it literally That's dropped. key K-E-Y. K E Y space yeah, not Q U A Y in case you no. are totally confused <laughs> about something else. Yes, that's that's usually my default way of spelling key is key. But anyway, I don't know. You uh, go on a lot of cruises, isn't that like that's a- true? <laughs> <laughs> key chargers is all about. That's cruises. the only time that I've actually encountered key spelled that way is like in the Caribbean. Yep, I don't know that I've ever encountered it that way. Or you probably maybe weren't just, paying attention, or you just pronounced it K. Yeah. Or, or just didn't pronounce <laughs> it as a word at all. Because it's like those fantasy names and stuff where if you never say them out loud, they make total sense until you try to say it out loud. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Hermione. I had yes. such a proud <laughs> parenting moment this morning when my son was playing with our refrigerator magnets and asked for Gandalf by name. <laughs> so good. Yep. So, yeah. Anyway, key. K-E-Y. Chargers. Spelled like it sounds. Is there another way to spell chargers? Is there, there um, a PH in there someplace? I have no idea. PH. <laughs> Just check it. Strike that pose. All right. Let's talk about some rule books. And if we get a chance, we'll have some listener mail at the end of the episode, too. Um so last week, if you were if you listened to our first and only so far rerun, uh, I guess that would make sense. If it was our first rerun, and it's only been one week. But anyway, um, you will know that we talked about rule books, and that was Kitty, Josh, and I talked about rule books. So Fletcher will get your uh, kind of take on rule books in general as well. But um, we talked about it for two years ago almost. So it had been a hundred and thirty. 140 almost episodes ago. So that's almost three years. Just about. Yeah. Yeah. So a long time ago. And a lot has changed in those three years. Yes. A lot of of stayed the same. Like some of the complaints are the same, but a lot has changed. So let's start out with just Fletcher. What do you think about rule books? They help you play the game. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of question is that? It's open ended. Okay, fine. I will target. It's too open ended. Let me just rehash some of the bits that was talk that were talked about last week or three years ago. Um, <laughs> However, your timing works. Yes. Yeah. So I agree with Kitty. Like sometimes the flavor text, it's like it's like nice, but I want to like skip it for the most part. 
Like, yeah, I don't care. I just want to get, you know, straight to the rules. Um, and Chris, you were talking about like, like here's a piece. And then like, if there's a picture next to it, like that would be great. So it's like, this piece is like this thing and like, like what the piece is called and like briefly, maybe in one sentence or like what it's used for. And you don't have to get into all the details so that you can start to identify and like kind of clump things together on the table and in your brain. Um, and then like a broad overview. It's like, is it first the end wins or like, you know, person with the most points or like, what's the objective of the game? Like in two sentences. And then you get in. Nope. Go ahead. ahead. Um, so like the objective of the game in two sentences or less. And then like a breakdown of like play, like set up the board this way. And then. And I like it when they have examples, lots of examples. And it's like, you know, the like everybody takes like their first turn. And it's like this, you know, this person does this. And like Jimmy the, does this and Amanda does that. Um, Kind of like the first round of play. And then it'll come into like, it might talk about like common scenarios and stuff that you'll run into and how to resolve them. Um, And then kind of like towards the end, it's like all the special rules and conditions that you run into. And then hopefully on the back of the book, as like Kitty talked about, like, there's a quick reference guide uh, again, like all the pieces and that's like what little statuses mean. If your game has that, all that kind of stuff is, is really nice. That's typically how I like my rule book broken down, especially with like the first round of gameplay kind of like follow along. Kind of thing. Now, and that applies very heavily towards medium weight to heavyweight games, lightweight games. You probably don't need not have that much. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the whole point of a lightweight game is to get you playing the game way faster. Um, it's oftentimes these games have a sheet of rules as opposed to a rule book. And, right. you know, in theory, you can just read it over. And even if you didn't interpret the rules correctly, the components are, almost play themselves in a lot of cases. So it's like, okay, uno, or, you know, or the gameplay is so quick that you're not investing two hours of time to figure out that you've been playing it wrong the entire game. Right. It's yeah. like 15 minutes and it's like, oh, we did this wrong. Well, next game we can just, you know, yeah. correct it. Which you play right away. Yeah. Yep. And the interesting thing about that, you know, I, I was saying, you know, just to throw it out there, that game is very simple, but you can still play it wrong. There's ways of, you know, misplaying the cards or, or something like that. But after you've played it once or twice, you're like, oh, right. I reread this sheet of rules. We did this wrong. From that point on, we will do it correctly. I get yelled at all the time for not saying Uno loudly or clearly enough. It says in the rules that you need to be loud and clear. I think I mean loud and clear. It's objective. <laughs> like, you can't know. Like, it, it's subjective. I, I don't know. Say. It's <laughs> I'm I'm tired. What can I say? There's um, objective yeah, involved. Yeah, this is... If, if it were an objective thing, it would be easy to decide. But no, I get yelled at by 12-year-olds consistently... So maybe it is always me, but I think it's just all them. They don't want the adult to win. They're against that, me. That's a pretty common common thing in games, too, is kids do not want the adults to win. But adults don't want the kids to win. So it's it's really all fair. So, I like to turn them against each other, because then they're not worrying about <laughs> turning against me. So when staying on Uno for a moment, of the kids that you're playing with, or just in general... How many of those people that you've played Uno with do you think have actually read the rules to Uno? None of us. Yeah. 
because it's it's one of those hereditary games. Monopoly yeah. is another one, right? It's it's sort of like passed down through generations. Like this is how you play it. Almost every card game you've ever played, you haven't read the rules to those card e- games. I come from a family that like, yeah, sure, things like Crazy Eights, which is basically Uno or you know, old maid, those kinds of games, no, but we had um a book. It was like Poyle's five hundred cards or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And we would go through that all the time and actually like read new games and learn them with our decks of cards because we would get bored playing the same games over and over again. Right. But you didn't breaking with or the oral tradition. <laughs> <laughs> well but that's We're fine. A family so teaching- nerds, what can I say? <laughs> but you're teaching we like yourself to read. Yeah, you're teaching yourself a new game, but if you look at something like Spades or um, Euchre or Rummy or the things that are like you learn from your grandparents. Yeah, cribbage. Yeah, you're not looking up the rules to those, right? That It's being taught to you. I have been taught Rummy so many different ways that we had to look up like, this is the rule set that we use. This is what the internet said the rules are. So this is what we have decided are the official rules because I can't play the... Dan's grandma's rules plus the kitty's parents' <laughs> rules plus the Spencer's grandfather's rules. It's just like you can't there's too many like, well, this is how I play it <laughs> moments. So where, I grew up playing yeah. Michigan Rummy because apparently that's the type of rummy we played. And I don't know if that was just my grandparents' way of saying this is the rummy you play in my state and any other rummy is wrong, but it was at least identified as a different form. Um, I don't know that there's a difference between rummy and gin rummy, but I've heard those terms thrown around. So, well, rummy is not a game in and of itself. Rummy is a a style of of game. (laughs) (laughs) Rummy is a style of game, and you have like rummy 500 is usually, I think, what you call Michigan rummy is rummy 500 in Illinois, apparently. That's what my parents called it, at least, where you're like playing everything onto the table and you have like your like sets and runs out in front of you and you score to like 500 points. Yep. Yeah. And you played over several rounds. Gin rummy is where you just, it is played seven cards in hand. And once you have rummy in your hand, which is three of something plus four of another, or sometimes a seven card straight, you lay it out and say rummy and you win. So there's, there's lots of other ways to play, too. Yeah. And all of this is basically to get us in the mindset of there are games that exist that don't have rule books that we all can learn to play and know to play. Yeah. Here, here I thought I was playing Texas Hold'em and everybody played Texas Hold'em. Little did I know, only Texans play Texas Hold'em. <laughs> you played wait Michigan Hold'em. <laughs> we, wait, is there actually a difference between Texas Hold them and no, there's not, right? That's a joke. Okay, yeah, I was hoping no, so. Not that like, I know of. I'm like, now I'm excited. Is there a different way to play hold them? Uh, which there is because there's Oklahoma, which is another hold them like game. But, um, and there's, yeah, there, we won't get into it. But yes, with these, I want to say games sans rule books, traditionally sans heritage rule games, heritage games, legacy. They're not legacy games. We can't call them that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to overload that word. Yeah, I like that one. That's fine. Um, These are games that we can learn without a rule book. And they're very easy for new people to get in on because we were Mm. taught them. Well, we were taught them. So when we want to teach someone new, we don't have to open up a rule book and immediately intimidate somebody who's not super into games. My 
I have friends that are non-gamers. We all do. And if I bring out a deck of cards and say, hey, want to play cards? You rarely get any kind of pushback on that. They might have their favorite game. They might suggest something, but they're not intimidated by a deck of cards. If I say, hey, want to play this board game? And I open up a box with, you know, 500 different pieces or even 20 different pieces, it's immediately intimidating as soon as you put that board down. And the rule book is the part I think is the most intimidating for someone is a new game. Um, For example, we'll take Wingspan. Wingspan is a great game, casual, easy to get into. You give that to someone who doesn't play games, they're going to open it up and they're going to look at all the pieces and they're going to look at the rule book and they're going to say, hey, this is, uh, I think it's like 16 pages long or something like that. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. There's a bunch of birds on a card. I'm just going to, I'll just put this away. This looks pretty on the shelf. And what I want to get to in this particular episode is how do we get past that? How do we make the rule book unintimidating or non-existent for new players to get into games easier? Make sense? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right. So let's first talk about, Kitty, you mentioned that you had some, some things to say between three years ago and now on rule books in general. You've read a lot more rule books. You've played a lot more games. You've had to teach a lot more games. What are your concerns with our current rule books so that we know what we should focus on when, when talking about this? I mean, I just think there's been a lot of changes in the way rule books are done. And I think that it kind of leads into today's topics. I don't want to like talk over some points that might come up later, but I guess just my thoughts on rule books are like I've encountered so many more and there's. There's so much more variety (laughs) than I had encountered before. So many good, so many bad, so many from like the awful accordion leaflets that come with really lightweight games that sometimes I'm like, is this a page by page or one sheet? I don't know what order I'm supposed to be reading it in. (laughs) It's like that meme. Um, It's like a map. You fold out this thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but you go from panel to panel and you don't know the order of the panels because they're normally right. not numbered. And you're like, am I what? flipping this back and forth <laughs> and then Kia turning it this? upside down? <laughs> Some assembly required. Did the for box your rule say, books. Hi, my name is Bjorn? <laughs> <laughs> All the way to some games where you get these really good and comprehensive manuals, you have an index, you have page numbers. They're obviously a lot heavier weight games that need these kind of manuals. But then you also have games that are heavier weight that you might as well be reading that poorly numbered leaflet because the rules were not laid out in a way that makes sense. This is a giant block of text. Giant blocks of text or overly, overly architected. So trying to arrange information so that it only appears in the book once and each piece is like referenced from other places. Like I've seen Marikawa is, is an example of this. It is a very pretty rule book. It's color coded. There's sections for each part of the turn. But if you try to read that book from front to back, you have no idea what's going on because it only ever mentions anything once because it doesn't want to repeat information. It's Not a nice like ad- good code, but bad road. Bad rule book. <laughs> bad rule book, exactly. If I'm writing code, this makes sense. It's not, and by the code, we mean computer code. Like, But it's not that. It's We want the information we need available to us when we need it. And I want it to be laid out in a way that I can remember where I need to go back and reference something if it comes up later. 
Exactly. Um, and another problem with Mario Kart, well, just to kind of, again, point out different issues with things, is it's teaching two games at the same time. So there is a standalone way you can play it, or there's a story mode that you can play. So it's going back and forth and kind of highlighting different elements as you go through. So even just reading the setup, you just like, do this, 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 and this. Oh, and if you're doing story mode, then do this and this. And if you're not, then undo these other things we had you just do. And it's it's like right from the beginning, it's like, well, should I be playing story mode? Am I am I doing something wrong? And it's just yeah. out of the back confusing. Like that feels like you should have two separate rule books. But I understand with cost now. That's another thing, is like I have learned so much more about the industry and getting into Kickstarter and really like seeing how putting a second rule book in a box might make perfect sense. But then it might be too expensive to print and ship to consumers. Yep. Oh, especially for shipping. because It's ridiculous. W- you can add that extra like 10 pages of paper. Now it's too heavy. You need to streamline things sometimes. And I yeah. get it. But it can really detract from the game if you can't understand how to play the game easily. I was actually thinking specifically of Terraforming Mars and experience. I had trying to teach Terraforming Mars without having recently played it. And the way the rule book is like, it's the, the order in which the rules are presented didn't make sense to me. So trying to go back to find a question to like reference it later is nearly impossible in that book for me. All right. So now, and I'm going to use Terraforming Mars as a jumping off point. Let's talk about how we can get rid of the rule books completely. Or at least minimize the rule books. Because we know that, you know, writing a good rule book is hard. Writing, making a game that doesn't require a rule book is maybe j- jumping to the end, but there are games out there. Um, Freedom mm-hmm. and Freeze has done, and this is published through Stronghold Games. They've done a fast forward series of games. And these are games that come with no rule book. It is a deck this of is, cards. Um, Fabled Fruits is this one? That was the first one. And then they have yeah. an entire range of Line, them. yeah. Yep. But they're all basically games that you put a deck of cards on the table. You don't shuffle them. You just put it on the table. And you just start flipping cards. And it's it guides you through the game as you go. And the way that it works, it's not that you know the rules are written on the cards. That would be even worse. It's that here's a card that tells you what to do next. And then you're going to get a number of cards that are flipped up that are very much like that playthrough example that Fletcher was mentioning, where it's like, here's this example of taking a first turn. But it knows, because the deck is stacked, to introduce the first core concept of the game. You play through that, you understand the core concept, and then you get another instructions. And it's like, oh, and now we're adding this to it. You play through a little bit. Now we're adding this to it. And over a series of games, which is always the same game, but it, it adds rules and complexity and, and additional cards, it becomes a very, I don't want to say complicated game. It's not a complicated game, but it becomes a much more in-depth game than that original. And at no point did you feel like you had to open up a rule book or reference rules because everything was just presented to you in a natural way. It was It's as close to teaching somebody Although you do also still have those reference cards right? that you can look and see like, oh, yeah, this is the example. I remember that now. Yep. So if you needed to go back through it, you could do that. Mm-hmm. So that is one way of doing that. Um, in our rules episode, we talked about XCOM and how it had an app that basically drove you through the entire game. 
I think it's so funny because even during that episode, I'm like, we just played this game twice. I don't remember it. I have no memory of playing XCOM. <laughs> well, I have memory of playing it, but I also have frustrations of not having any way of referencing the rules because it literally has no rule book. I think that's part of why I don't remember. It's like so outside of my experience because once again, I almost always have the rule book in my hand, if not within reach. Like I am such a rules lawyer. I love looking at the rule book. It is fun to me to flip through them. When gameplay gets slow, it seems like a not rude thing to do to like entertain myself at the table while somebody's taking a long turn. Um, so maybe I do it a little bit less now that we don't play with Josh. I'll call him out since he's not <laughs> here to defend himself. <laughs> so when Josh was taking super long turns, it was really, you know, I got to read a lot of rule books, but I, I just, I couldn't reference back to it when we were playing XCOM and I like had to be engaged in what was happening with this app. And if it wasn't my turn, somebody else was trying to do something, they're looking at it. It's such a small screen for three to five players to yep. be trying to all see what's happening. Well, and only one person's supposed to be looking at the screen on top of that. So if you're not the person looking at the screen, you are getting this information secondhand yeah. from the person who is. So uh, before we jump back to the terraforming Mars thing, because I, um, I want to make some points about that. Let's talk about some other rulebook replacements that have sprung up. Um, since then. Uh, the first one that hasn't really sprung up since then, but it's become far, far more common, and that's video how to plays. Yeah. So we see these all over the place. Um, with Kickstarter, you practically, most Kickstarter videos include some kind of walkthrough or how to play. Um, the walkthroughs are not as valuable as the how to plays because they're playing the game as they're teaching the game, which is one way to learn. Um, it just takes longer. You have watch it played or, um, Oh, there's a bunch of channels now that teach rules. Tons of them. Yep. So you can, you know, pick your style of learning. They have a number of ways that you can learn through videos. The problem with videos is the information is very fleeting. Here it is. As you're describing it, I completely understand everything you're saying. And as soon as the video gets turned off and I open up the, bo the board, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do next. It's also very linear to like reference again. Yep. That's like my main problem. It's like a good way to get a nice overview, but it's like, wait, what was that rule again about this? And then you're like scrubbing through the through the video to find try to find like where it was referenced. It's 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 difficult. And again, it's the whole secondhand issue where, like Rodney Smith yeah. from Watch It Play does a really good job at basically reading you the rule book while showing you the components. But not everyone does that. People will gloss over certain rules or not give you details about something specific. So well, they you might just misunderstand something it might not be like you know they glossed over it it could be an outright misunderstanding it could be a they just forgot something you know you're trying to record these videos and these people are just humans yep. we forget things sometimes it might not make it into the final edit whatever it is you know you're not getting the rules straight from the source right so there are problems with videos I like short ones. I like anything 20 minutes or less where I can get an overview of the game. I think that's great to do that before even opening up the box. Um, I've recently played a couple games in the past just few days where, like, um, I played Lockup, which is a 
in the uh, designed by the same person who did role player. And what we did for that is we would watch it. And as we set up, we would pause the video a ton and set up, do what they said, pause, do what they said, pause. And then when we started taking our first turn, we walked through the turn sequence in the book just to make sure we were getting everything that worked out pretty well. Um, Sydney and I haven't played Star Wars Rebellion in probably over a year and a half. And we just set up a game last night. And so we're like, we don't remember all the rules. <laughs> so we used a video there to refresh our memory, which actually, yeah. since we'd played it and we played it several times, you know, long ago, it came back to us pretty quickly. And but it was, like, oh, a- yeah, I remember now. Oh, yeah. Yep. But it was a faster way to get, actually, it was a slower way. Video is a slower way to deliver a lot of content than just if we would have just read the rule book. We would have probably got there faster doing that. Well, except that both of you can be watching the same video at the same time where you cannot be reading the same rule book at the same time. That's true. If I am, yep, if I'm teaching myself, I can do it probably as fast with the rule book. Um, I just get bored faster because moving pictures are pretty to look at and rule books are not usually. (laughs) Um, Visuals can be super helpful. And, you know, this all depends on learning styles. Again, we, I think we touched on this in the previous episode, but, you know, some people are visual learners. They're not going to pick up from text what they can from somebody doing it in front of them. Um, Some people like the audio component is super helpful and you can be watching these videos while you do the dishes, while you clean up your house, fold your laundry, whatever it is. And you can be getting this information while you're doing something that you would not be able to do while reading a physical copy of the rule book. Yeah. But it, I don't know that video yet is at the point where it's going to replace the rule book for all the it, things that we mentioned. They're yeah. great. It's a They're great, great supplement. Yep. But even getting people to sit down and watch a 35 minute how to play on this board game that you want to teach there is nothing that takes the momentum out of the room faster than, okay, now let's sit down and we're going to watch this instructional video. It's like the substitute teacher (laughs) wheeling out the TV. Everybody immediately falls asleep. It's the best day of school ever. Yeah. Well, well, and also you're like in a social environment, you're talking amongst each other and stuff. And one person is going to be paying attention to the video and the other people are going to start side conversations. And then, oh, wait, I missed that. Um, And then you get 10 minutes in, you have no context to anything. You know, you might have a board in front of you, but even then you're getting all this information before you're actually playing the game, which is the biggest problem with rule books in general. Well, I think rule books are for one person to learn the rules and then that person is the teacher. I think that's how almost everyone does this. Right. I've I've done this many, many times now. I have become the teacher with games now a lot of times. You, as the owner and like driver of playing this game, it is your job to learn the rules from the rule book and then teach it to the people you want to play with. Right. And that's the problem we're trying to solve as an industry. Like, we're not going to solve it on this podcast completely. We'll, we'll, you know, have some thoughts. But I don't know that there's always a problem with that. Um, I like well, rule books. <laughs> you do. I don't want to get rid of them. You do. But most of the people that you play games with, if you were to say, hey, let's play this game. Here's this rule book. Teach us all. They would be like, uh, no, I'll just do something else. Well, that's why me as the person who likes to play the game and wants to learns the rules and teaches. And that's right. fine for me. Right. 
Right, right, right. What I'm saying, it's fine for everyone who's listening to this podcast, too, typically. <laughs> um, hi, Michelle. Um, I told her to give her a shout out because she doesn't play <laughs> games, but she listens to this podcast. So, But one of the reasons why people don't play more Megan board games. Megan does, too, sometimes. Megan, hi. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the people reason why people don't play more board games is because of the rule book. So as an industry, if we want to get more and more people in here, we have to solve this problem for the people that it is a problem for. So that's really where I'm trying to, like, that's the problem I'm trying to think about solving. One of the things that we talked about on Dice Tower News in the last few weeks is Alexa teaching Ticket to Ride, which is the newest way I've heard of of getting rid of a rule book is apparently if you have an Alexa and I don't, but I should, but I hear Alexa listens to everything I do. So, um, which is fine. I just don't want to accidentally. You probably just don't give any instructions right now. You woke up like 800 <laughs> people's Alexa. Yeah, it's true. Let's just keep saying that word though. Oh no. We'll Alexa, undo Alexa. whatever what I just had to do. House. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to say she, cause it's a she name, but <laughs> She will walk you through playing Ticket to Ride, teach you from the box to playing, and she'll actually be a player in the game, which is very, very interesting. So if you have an Alexa and you want to play Ticket to Ride, all of a sudden you just download this skill or however that works. Again, I don't have an Alexa, so I don't know. Um, You just keep saying it. I know, but I'm not giving it any commands. So it's, it's just like, it wakes up. It's like, oh, that doesn't, that wasn't a question or a command. Um, but if you have this, then that is another potential way of learning a board game. I don't know if it works well. If anyone out there who I've really irritated your Alexa. If, Set a if, timer if, for 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know if you've played Ticket to Ride with it. Because I am curious as to how that actually works out and how that plays out. Okay, let's talk about why we need rule books. Um, and not in a way of like why why does the rule book exist at all? And we mentioned this last week. I don't know if I got to that part. I didn't listen <laughs> to the whole episode. I'm really sorry. All right, versus video games. Versus video games. A video game okay. doesn't have rule books because it's holding right. your hand through the whole process. It's a tutorial. Yeah. And you can't have a tutorial with a board game because there isn't a AI to guide you through it. Right. So Unless you unless have, unless it's an app like XCOM, an, which yep. I don't like, <laughs> and it didn't catch on. Like honestly, XCOM's the only fully app rule book that I know of. There might be a couple others, but there's not a ton. Even the games now, because Fantasy Flight did XCOM, and even the other app-driven games they've done, there's rule books that come with them. The app, as it should be, yeah. Because honestly, I it's not that I didn't like the way XCOM played with the app. It wasn't bad it was that it you need to have a rules reference alongside it yes you if you want to i don't know i i just think to understand a game there's no better way than to read about it and that's like the nerd in me that's how i learn <laughs> that's how i do things i like to read a rule book so nothing more beautiful to me than a well laid <laughs> out set up simple to read images where you need them not too cluttered rule book I love it. So let's imagine that you don't like rule books. So imagine somebody that just imagine one of your non gamer friends who isn't as passionate about the rules as you are. I don't so, think I have those. <laughs> <laughs> um, imagine your oldest sister. She plays a lot of games, man. Does she teach she plays the rules villainous. though? 
Yeah. All right. Then all right, fine. Then just imagine I'm this sorry, theoretical I'm full of, I'm my, non, non-gamer my person. My least gamery friend is like, I don't know, they don't play Pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well Fletcher, you imagine Carmen. Okay. All right. Um I'm doing my best to put myself in this mind frame. <laughs> so and now we're back to terraforming Mars. I'm a long, long, long trek to get there. Um, but I want to highlight some reasons why rule books are required for our current batch of games. And I don't know that we're going to pl- replace rule books with a substitution for the games that we have today. So it's not like you can take terraforming Mars and say, let's just get rid of the rule book and find a different way of teaching this that's less intimidating. I just don't think that's possible with that game. However, that game has issues that make it hard for the rulebook to re- be removed. Number one issue, iconography. If you've played the game over and over and over, you know what a, back, a brown background means versus not having it. You know that the upper right symbols, sometimes it's a reference, sometimes it's a cost, sometimes it's something else. You, kn- you understand the iconography because you've learned it through repetition. That doesn't... Anything you have to learn through repetition in a game is... Game design, I'm not going to call it bad game design, but it's game design that makes it hard to remove rule, a rule book from it. So I'm going to call out Euro games for a minute. Okay. Euro games have really relied on iconography to become language independent, but I think that makes it harder to learn games by a lot. You, yes. um, If you have these player boards with all this iconography on it, that's fine. And I really enjoy, I think it was, is it Viticulture maybe? It has um, two versions of the board. What is oh, this? Oh, yeah. It's like, there's there's a few that have, like, one side is the simple version that is just, you know, kind of gets rid of the words and clutter. And the other side has extra instructions that help extra you walk through it. Extra explanations on it. And I really like that for a tool for learning. At first, you use the clutter side with all of the text on there gives you these hints reminds you what these things do and then you do still have the streamlined version where once you know everything you don't need those reminders they look cluttered you can use the pretty board to play over and over again but i think by removing text from a lot of situations where it could be very helpful like wingspan i love wingspan great game The player board, the way they have the different action selection on the left would be so much easier to teach people if each of those rows had one sentence of text that reminded you, place your cube in this square, this is the cost you pay, whatever it is. Just like one to two sentences, this is what it is. It makes so much more sense when you see all that blank space on the left side of the board, and then you're trying to remember like, how this works when I place the bird, do I get to do the brown powers? Is that only the other thing? The the difference between is placing a bird the same kind of action as the others because it's so much smaller on the board. It it's so much easier if you just have that text reminder right there. And I so think Euro hit- games messed us up. Well yes. And I think what you're doing is you're you're are getting to like one of the fundamental things that we can do to start removing pages out of the rulebook. Because I think that's what we need to do is think about removing pages out. F- Fantasy Flight, we've talked about this a number of times. Um, most of their games have a how to play and then a w- rules reference. 
if we just got to a rules reference and got rid of the how to play and took that down to a single sheet, that would be a huge jump. And one of the things we can do is what you were just talking about, which is having the components help you teach the game as you're going through. So if you have, you know, we have player aids and player aids are another reason or another thing that can help us get pages out of the rule book. A player aid should simply say, on your turn, this is what you can do. Great. You go and you do those. And as you interact with those components, they tell you what you should do and how you can play through. This allows us to help kind of roll back these rule books. And that's how the fast forward series basically works is we're going to tell you what to do. And as something comes up, the components themselves are going to introduce this new rule. So you, you are almost, you're not learning the rules. You're playing the game and then playing the game. You're just doing what the game is telling you to do. It's part of playing the game. It's not part of learning the game. It's a little splitting hairs, but it feels different getting all that information up front versus getting that information in context when you need it. Yes. It looks like you're looking something up. I am. So, because I was looking up um, the Wingspan rulebook, I was curious how many pages it had because I remember there being both a rule book and an appendix. And the rule book being not super straightforward, but, you know, pretty laid out, easy to follow. Lots of pictures. And then also having this appendix, which is much more tight, straightforward information. Look something up. This is, you know, just info. And they are each 12 pages long. But one of them, there is much more imagery going on, lots more pictures. I really like the setup of this layout. Um, it It's very intuitive to me. So I don't know. Um, were you there? Actually, either of you, maybe both of you were there. The first time that I tried teaching um, Wingspan to a group of people. Fletcher, I want to say that you were there and George Gia was there. I was, I was teaching a- Wingspan. I remember that, yeah. So that particular teach whoever was teaching it, we didn't even get past, I think, the maybe we might have got to the second round in like an hour and a half of trying to teach that game. It took a long time. Yeah. We had five people. That was literally, I opened the box that night and sat down and started teaching it while we were playing, while I was reading the rule book. Right. What I'm wondering, though, and this is where I'm kind of getting at is, how for something as simple as wingspan and you've hit on some of it is like if you just changed the way the board was laid out so it was a little bit more intuitive could you have taught that game way faster because that game is not complicated like there's no reason that it would take an hour to teach the game i think it's a little more complicated than you give it credit for sometimes it is not a heavy game but it is much heavier than games that most non-gamers play. So I will agree that, and this kind of goes back to the episode before that our last one, but the um, complicate complicated games, emergent complexity versus you know um, rules complexity. Wingspan rules wise is not complicated. There is a lot going on in the game, but it comes out of very simple you know rule mechanics. You're choosing one of four actions, and you're doing the same thing every single time with those actions. However, it is not like a game I have played before. Correct. Well, and so and I couldn't say we're playing this. This is going to be so much like Yahtzee. If you've played Yahtzee, you'll understand what this is. And so for me, the first time playing it, it took me so long to understand 
what I was doing, just reading out of the rule book on the fly, that it was nearly impossible for me to teach it. And it was like a group effort of learning this. It's learning a new language. And then once you understand the language, you realize like, oh, this is so easy. And it's really easy to tell someone else how to do it. Right. And that is exactly we were my playing, point. playing like, do you remember this game? Like, we played this game, Mao. You didn't say the rules. It was Uno. But each card has like a special action you do with it. And the only way you learn those actions is by watching the other players play. And every time you mess up, they keep giving you cards. That's what this first time playing Wingspan felt like, was I was sitting at the table. I didn't know the rules. And I just kept getting more cards. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, but that's exactly my point. That's exactly the problem I'm trying to talk about here is how See, do you... I don't know how that do you... that's necessarily a problem. We still had a lot of fun playing that game. Oh, if it, I had had half an hour ahead of time to read the rule book, I could have figured it out and taught that game in sure. 15 minutes, which sure. I've done on multiple occasions. Let's assume it is a problem. Because as an industry, it is 100% a problem. It is one of the most, the number one problem that any publisher will tell you, if we need to fix something, the number one problem is getting rid of rule books. That is the number one problem that the industry is trying to solve. Because we cannot grow with people who are are just not as invested in reading those rule books. So the question is... I think it breaks a game like Wingspan, though. If you try to take away the rule book, you try to take away the complexity of the game. You try to take away the fun. So no, (laughs) no. What I'm trying to get at is it doesn't need to break the game. You already said different things that you can do to make that game easier to learn. What I'm getting at is... none of them is get rid of the rule book. You need a rule book. In fact, you need two rule books. <laughs> okay. All right. So again, I we don't have to get things that we, don't we have need to, to get... do as an industry create more streamlined um, player aids, player boards. We need to have those more intuitive for somebody who does not play a lot of games. Somebody who we don't have this language independent barrier we're trying to get over we are making games primarily for an english-speaking market we can make a language independent version we need to eliminate this like everything must be language independent kind of attitude i think that's very harmful well actually i that one i have to strongly disagree with you on because in europe the reason they're called euro games and the reason why euro games tend to be language independent is because you have 15 different languages all within the same size of half the United States. So while, yes, in the U.S., we're primarily English, if this game is going to be in Europe, it's not primarily English. It's primarily all kinds of things. But that's not the problem I'm trying to solve here. It's not the problem I'm trying to discuss. Yes, having an independent language you have to learn of symbology, that is a problem of an in and of itself. But having that barrier of the rule book and having even 12 pages is more than a lot of people want to get through. What I'm saying is, well, what can we do to reduce text, that? <laughs> it's not 12 pages okay. of text. All right, all right, all right, all right. You're still arguing that there's not a problem. Because I don't think there's a problem. <laughs> okay. So we might be at an impasse then because I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to pretend there is a problem. Okay. I'm pretending there's a problem. Tell me what the problem is. The problem is rule books are intimidating to players, to new players that are not less intimidating. I mean, like you can't have a game without (sighs) 
you can have a game without a rule book, but you can't have a game without rules. And if you're eliminating the rule book, you are eliminating a valuable resource. Okay. You can make it so you don't have to use the rule book to learn how to play the game, maybe. So, you can create these kind of like in-game tutorials, sure, that teach you how to play. I think that's fine for lighter weight games. I just don't think we are ever going to get to a place where we can use those methods to teach complex games to hobbyists. Okay, so I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. And again, from the very beginning when I said, I am not arguing that we can take the rulebook away from Terraforming Mars. I'm not arguing that we can take the rulebook away from Wingspan. Not arguing that. I think that those iconography and changing things on the boards can help that. But that's not the approach or the way we can think about how do we lower this barrier of entry. And well, also I think not what you're saying-, saying is that wingspan is too high a barrier to entry to most people. And I fundamentally disagree. I know so many people who are not heavy gamers who have gotten really into that game specifically. How many of and them many learned others. it from the rule book? I mean, I know some. Okay, but I'm just saying that so many people have gotten in that game is because somebody taught them the game. Now, just hold on, hold on. Again, let's assume that there is a problem. So what I'm saying is reducing the number of pages in a rule book is fine. We don't have to just shred them up. And you can't do that for games that are not designed to work without a rule book. And that's where I'm kind of getting to this. Wingspan is not designed to not have a rulebook to teach the game. There are things you could do with the components and the board and player aids to reduce the number of pages and reduce the barrier of entry of learning that game on your own without somebody teaching you, without nobody knowing five people that have had a couple beers sitting down trying to learn this game. There are ways to make that easier. It does involve modifying the game, at least the game components, in some way. The game doesn't have to get simpler. Like I said, the game's complexity is emergent, the rules are not the complex part of that. Terraforming Mars was not designed to be taught without a rulebook. You can't just throw the rulebook out and say, here's a replacement for that. What I am getting at is the same thing we did with video games. In the 80s, video games were designed that you would have a rulebook that you would read before you started playing the game. And if you didn't, you would not know how to play the game, or at least you'd be fumbling around and not being able to do what you were intended to do. Video games were redesigned to be able to teach you without a rulebook. And I think that's what we need to think of. If you want to remove the rulebook, you want to remove that barrier, at least to those lightweight to midweight games, it's not about figuring out a different way to teach the game that we have today. It's about figuring out how to design games that they don't require as much of a rulebook as we require today. Um... Tapestry was a decent example of this. Essentially, it's a four-page rulebook. It still falls... It, it got close to having practically no rulebook to be able to teach the game. Um, and you can learn it from there pretty quickly. But it's it's a heavy game as far... Well, it's middleweight game. Um, and it's getting really close. And it was, But it was designed to do that. It was designed where the components themselves kind of drove it. Drove it. But even there, there was too much iconography to make it a rulebook like to remove the rulebook altogether because there was so much iconography there. So I think we're getting closer, but I do think that the games have to change their approach in order for the 
how we teach the games to change our approach. Does that make sense? Am I tr- making that point better? I think you're making your point just fine. I just don't agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that to say that rule books are a problem is to give people not enough credit. I think that the relation of them to video games is um, not a good analogy because video games are a solo experience, whereas um, tabletop games are a cooperative or collaborative event. Even a competitive game is cooperative in that we have all bought into the same rule set and we are playing together at the table. Um, And I, I think that there's nothing wrong with a good rule book. I think that a lot, like we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here a little bit, where we have had so many bad and poorly laid out and terrible graphic design rule books that have made it more complicated and difficult for people to learn very popular games that now the problem is the rule book, not the problem is that rule book. All right. So, Fletcher, I'm going to put you on the spot here um, via Carmen. No, no, no. (laughs) If you were to give Carmen a a board game that she's interested in, um, it's just a subject matter that she's interested in, whatever that might be. So from on the surface, she might be interested in playing this game. And you said, okay, great. Here's the game. I'm going to walk out. I'm going down the street. When I get back, you can teach me how to play it. She opens up the box. She sees the most wonderfully laid out rule book that you could ever imagine. It's 20 pages. She picks up the book. It's 20 pages. Does she even bother opening it? You, you go ahead. I'm saving my, my feedback for Chris. I want to hear what you think Carmen would do in this situation. Um, having played, obviously, a few games with Carmen, she usually relies on me or other people bringing over the game. She's typically not the one to spearhead the teaching of a game she'll be the one that's like let's play a game like let's definitely do that but when it comes to making sure that she knows the rules or everybody knows the rules and that we're all playing uh that's usually rely that falls upon me or or somebody else so ultimately it doesn't really matter how well that rule book is laid out because it's not something she's going to open up and look at anyway maybe unless it was like literally like two pages of rules if it was really short if it was anything more than that probably not would be my guess so kitty that is actually her homework this isn't (laughs) a gamer who wants to play a game who is trying to learn this game you gave somebody a i gave you a task now you teach me. It's like a setup for failure for this. No, no, What if Carmen no. went to the store and picked out the game herself and it was something really cool that she wanted to do? Okay. Like, that's not how most people <laughs> approach games. You don't give somebody homework and say like, hey, I know you really like to play games, but that you're not usually the rule person. So... Like you just broke the scenario. It's like okay. a it, no, it's no, no, no. You're how you've just happen. done a, you've just done a great job at proving my point. Learning games feels like homework to most people. No, learning yes. games feels like homework when somebody says you've got twenty minutes. Go. I, okay, I'm going the scenari- to the store. Okay, figure all right, it out. All right, all right. Do not nitpick the scenario. It doesn't matter to most people. No, and this is it's not something totally true. Because I go to the store. I get excited <laughs> about a game. I picked out Sagrada. I really want to play this. Okay. I'm going right, to go home. I'm going to read Fletcher. the rule book with excitement. 
<laughs> no, but that's not how most people approach it. Yes, you do. Most people do not. Most, most people, people aren't gaming hobbyists. I don't know why okay. we're trying to make... <laughs> we're not... There's so pro- many games that people... <laughs> like, Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride has a rule book. It has a substantialish rule book. It's available at Target, and tons of people have taught themselves how to play this game out of the rule book. It, like, I just don't think it's as big a problem as you're making it seem in this episode. Okay, sure, that's what I, this whole episode hold is about. On, hold on. I just, this is... This is not a problem I am making it seem. This is an industry-wide problem. This topic came up because Eric Lang, one of the quintessential designers of our current time... Over-designer said, of really epic and ridiculously overcomplicated games. He's not trying... Like, he's trying to fix a problem of, like, making a bigger market for his games... No, but like, <laughs> but his games are never going to appeal to the market of people who are going to play games where like you don't need a rule book. I don't know. So he is he is actually the head designer of the entire Simon Studio. They do a lot of super casual games. He's just one of the industry leaders that says the same thing. This is not something I am making up. Rule books are a barrier to growing our hobby. They are no matter how you look at it. If you don't want to bring in non-hobbyist gamers, you are 100% right. Hobbyist gamers are not the problem. We have that tiny little niche. But right now, bringing in... It's an ever-expanding niche. It is still a tiny, tiny little niche. It is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of people who end up playing hobbyist games. And one of the biggest barriers to entry is the rulebook. It's one of those things that we have to figure out. It's... It starts out with first making it clear, making it easy to learn from, and then gradually pulling it away so it's not so intimidating to people who want to play games, but don't want to have to feel like they're taking a test or studying or doing homework, because that's what a rulebook is to most people. Sydney loves games. She does never, ever want to open up and learn from a rulebook. So how does she learn games? She gets taught them. So I think that... YouTube is the biggest answer to this problem. And I think that YouTube only works in conjunction with a rule book. Yep, and I think that if we work. focus too much on eliminating the um, rule book, we eliminate, like, I, I just, you, I just still, don't know how we can add. You're still enough. taking this further than you need to. I am not talking about eliminating the rule book. Okay, if we're talking about, about eliminating pages, that's yes. fine. And I'm I'm all about like making rule books streamlined, making games so that the components do the work for you. I think those are great ideas. I think once we start working too hard to eliminate pages from the rule book and coming up with these games that have no rule books, something like Fabled Fruits, it was not very fun to play. And I haven't no. played the other games in the series, so I can't speak to if they're fun <laughs> there, to play. There are a couple games in the series that are actually turned into really great games without rule books. Fabled Fruit is a very simple, simple game. It was basically testing the proving is a proof of concept. Could this work? In the same way that cooperative games a decade ago, n- like nobody said people aren't going to play cooperative games. Then pandemic comes out. It's like shows that it is possible to make a fun game. And then a whole lot of bad cooperative games come out. And then people kind of figure out how to do it. And now we have a whole lot of great cooperative games where basically that's the default. It takes 
experimenting and trying, but it also takes understanding that there is a way of getting people to be able to play games faster. And even if it is just the hobbyist, maybe it never brings in someone else. If I don't have to spend an hour and a half reading a rule book, I am more likely to play that game. It is a barrier to me. And that's totally fair. And and maybe we really are not as far apart on this issue as we seem like we are because we're, you know, making our points sound more extreme than they are. Because I think what it really comes down to is we both really enjoy streamlined and easy to learn rules and games. I just don't think we need to sacrifice. I think it's very important. How about that? Like, it's not even that we don't need to. We shouldn't in any way sacrifice fun, complexity, and playability of the game for the sake of simplicity of rules and learning. I agree with you, but I don't, I I don't know that one, I don't know that they're directly related. I don't know that just because something, a game isn't complex makes it not fun. No, 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 no. I think that some games, though, need a certain degree of complexity to be fun. There, there needs to be. And, and I'm not saying that those games, again, I am not saying that games that exist today need to have their rule books ripped away and take out the rules that make it hard. Not saying that at all. I'm saying Mm -hmm. if you start from scratch saying, I want to make a game that is complicated in depth, but not one that is hard to learn, I think that that will help create easier games for people to get into. And I think that those are the games that in the near future will be the ones that are successful. We are not going to have a lot of these 50-page rule books be successful games. They will they will have their market, they'll have their niche, but they will not ever make it to mass market. All of the super successful games that have come out in the last 20 years have been games with very streamlined rules. Even Gloomhaven was the number one game ever. They are re-releasing it to retail stores with a simplified rulebook, simplified setup, simplified everything to make that game easier to learn for the masses. Because you have to. So what I worry about is not games that have 50-page rulebooks trying to do this. My worry is that games that have 12-page rulebooks are going to think that they need to follow in on this trend of like, I must streamline, I must eliminate. And they will not be as good medium weight to slightly heavier games because this trend, which is trying to bring people in, is in fact going to make less fun to play games in the long run because sure, it's really easy to get into it first, but maybe they did that by eliminating card types so that there were less explanations of that. And now the replayability of the game is lessened. So maybe, but there's also five to 10,000 games every year. So if that happens, there'll be plenty of fun games left. The kind of game I would like to talk about very quickly because we are. (laughs) (laughs) Fletcher, do you have any battery left? (laughs) Uh, Um, Yeah. It's still going. <laughs> Excellent. Um, legacy games. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of legacy games are really good for, they have four pages of rules to begin with, and they slowly introduce more and more rules. However, I think that they are less sellable to people who are just entering the hobby 
because they often have a limited number of plays or you must play this so many times before you have the full version of the game. They're often expected you're playing with the same people over and over again. And those are all kind of barriers to people who are just entering the hobby. Yes, but we can learn from them. Yeah. So they have a lot of really good lessons to teach there. And Zen Legacy, a lot of people, I think it was the third expansion that came out for it, but a lot of people say this is the first thing you should play because the initial rules are very simple, very, very easy to start, and it grows over time. Once you finish that, you have a game that's fully replayable and you can mix it with all the other sets. So we can learn from that. I'm not saying that works for every game, yeah. but the concepts of what are going on there does, like, we can learn from. And even if you did all of that ramping up inside of a game as you played it, as the Fast Forward series does, it's still a f- easier way to get into. You start playing immediately, and as you learn new rules, they are added on to what you already know. You don't have to simplify the game. You just have to change the presentation of how you play that first and or second or third game. That itself can help make the barrier of entry easier for these things. I do think, though, that there are that this is a more, I don't know, complicated issue of like, sure, this might be one piece of the puzzle that's keeping more people from entering the hobby. But I think we can also kind of use it as a like, well, it must be because games are hard to learn. People don't want to play them. And that's really easy to like, not blame some of the culture of exclusivity that has gone with the hobby for a long time. I think that it, it's easier to blame the pieces than it is to blame the people occasionally. So so I'm not saying that there isn't an issue there. I'm saying that if you wanted to play a game on your own, you don't need to be invited into a game group. You just need to be able to pick up a game that you're not intimidated to learn. So no, and- you also need two to four other players. Okay, I mean, if you have no friends, fine. Yes, it is difficult to find a game to play if you have no friends to play it with. I 100% well, agree with you on this. want to play <laughs> games. Like, you know, because I, I know people who I play games with where, like, I am their game friend who, like, I bring together people from other, you know, different areas of my life all together because, like, oh, there's, like, one other person in this group who likes to play games and they all come together and play games in my group. But they wouldn't bring the games that they know how to play over to their other friends because they have no interest in playing that game or any game. Sure. And and I think that's sort of what I'm getting at is if people have no interest in playing any game, how do you lower that b- barrier? Because it's not that people don't want to have fun, right? Um, and again, what you said previously was is good enough and we can end on that, which <laughs> is this is a bigger problem than we can solve. This is an industry-wide problem that every publisher and every designer is dealing with on a daily basis right now. It is the number one problem in the industry that needs to be solved, potentially short of just not putting out so much, so many games that everything just kind of immediately goes away as soon as it's released. But getting people past that barrier of entry is a huge problem in our industry right now. And other people are working on it. But and it's what I I find this conversation is super, super interesting that I think it's a huge problem. I hate rule books. I, and I started, if you listen to this podcast three and a half, four years ago, I started out saying, I love rule books. I buy games just to read the rule books. Now I buy games because I want to play them and I hate rule books. I hate them so, 
so much to the point where I have a lot of games that I don't play because the rule book is 30 pages long and it's just not even worth my time to read it. That is a problem when someone who actually enjoyed reading them is just rule book fatigue. So I am I'd one person. I'd be really interested to look at the weight of those games that you feel like that versus the weight of games where I'm like, I don't mind reading the rule book and learning and teaching because I think that the weight of game that I play consistently that I learn the rule books myself and teach a lot are much more the weight of game that I would hope somebody trying to learn new games in the hobby would be picking up. And I think sometimes hobbyist gamers can really put this like complexity. It's like popularity problem out there for other people like gloomhaven is the most popular game on board game geek somebody's gonna go to war game geek. Well, i want to buy the most popular game out there it's not the best entry level game yeah and, and i agree tricky. with you and this is why my tastes in games are starting to skew to light to medium weight because mm-hmm. i just don't want to learn complicated rules i like complicated games but i don't want to learn the rules and so however you look at it wherever it is that we can do better as an industry. And I think we should keep thinking about it. And I think the best way to think about it is to actually think about it as, as opposed to saying there's nothing really to do there. Cause there's definitely always ways to improve on how to teach people games. Yeah. I don't think that was ever my argument. <laughs> <laughs> Fletcher, do you have anything to say? Uh, why, why are mommy and daddy fighting? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, some kind of yeah. I don't. It, I don't know the answer to this. Besides short videos, maybe I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, we weren't going to solve this problem. If we were, yeah. we'd we'd, <laughs> we'd made a lot of money because it's like finding that thing. But again, I don't think there is one solution. I think there's a lot of things, and it just depends on the game. I agree with Kitty in that we don't want to compromise the games, but we. I do think we, if we want more people to play it, lowering that barrier of entry is is the way to do that okay this has gone on for longer than i expected so we're going to skip mail this week and we'll just move it to next week um any final thoughts kitty you're not allowed to talk you're allowed to talk <laughs> but any anything i don't want to cut you off either um no i think we covered it pretty well i think rule books are important but i do think we need to think carefully about how we use them and how rules are presented to people like it and fletcher uh, besides like a lady in a can trying to teach you how to play a game, which is kind of cool or, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we never talked like about your help. designer shipped in every box idea that you have put down here. Yeah. That's basically Alexa. Right. Yeah. Like some kind of AI that teaches you the games or like in a way it's kind of like a technology problem. If there was a camera, it, like assuming people have like hidden cards that they keep from each other. Um, or it's like everybody has their own iPad that's like connected to each other. That the game can tell you, like, no, this is like not a good move, or this is an illegal move. It's as, at a certain point, you kind of get into like a video game territory. So, but it, it would have to be something kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. And then the real problem with that is it's the reason that you know board games are easy and video games are not is because board games are easier to produce than video games. You can make a pretty complicated board game with you know Isaac Childress did Gloomhaven basically on his own over a couple years, where if you were to do that in as a video game, it, it would have been a team of 30 people for three to four years. So it probably would have made a lot more money too, because that's what video games do. But 
it's just harder to create a video. It, it, it's harder to create software than it is to create physical board games. So that's also one of our problems is we can only go so far with technology. Okay, maybe next week we'll talk about technology and board games. We've talked about that a little bit, but no, next week we're going to do something nice and, and easy. I don't know what yet, but it's going to be something that's it's, it's fun and airy and, and, and good. In the so meantime, go to bed, bed before video, 10 p.m. would be great. The industry. <laughs> In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at slash Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher's Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. Um, leave us some iTunes reviews. I'm probably going to do some kind of promo promotion for that, too, because we need some more iTunes reviews. And you can follow us or favorite us on Patreon at TabletopGameTalk.com slash Patreon. Um, all right. You- Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening to Remember We Love Your Feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons, Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimwitz, Jerry Wang, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks. Jeremy Fisher, David Redke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yankowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Loom, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Nate Faz, Flintham, Sean Peck, er- Eric C. Lander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Vernick, Chris Lowe. Joe Hoover, Timothy Groth, Gunn Cotter, Jesse Wachowiak, Emil Drew Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Chud, Leanne Verholst, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, John Joe Ratstad, Ron Nelson, Sarah Wentworth, Sahara Wentworth, <laughs> Weatherman Keith, Nicholas Lotz, Angus Toth, Paul Raymer, Timothy, and Matthew Droke. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, Fletcher, we need to get you rechargeable batteries so that you can handle these hour and 15 minute long podcasts. Uh, yeah, I know. Also, so I just don't like have to go scrounging in, in my junk drawer for batteries at the last second. <laughs>